why that is is because they are unable to have stable families because they no longer believe in hierarchies. They no, no longer believe that a man should be the man of the house and they should have the final say on a general capacity. As a result of that, what we're seeing is the disintegration of family, stabilizing of such families, and we're seeing divorce. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, my dear brothers and sisters. Today we are gathered to talk about the Muhammad hijab and the Jordan Peterson part two. And if y'all were giving Jordan Peterson some heat because of the whole Ben Shapiro Al-Aqsa thing, just know that this recording was actually before that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So this is um this is before that. The timeline's a little weird, but just just so you know, just so you know. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Bismillah. Bismillah. I said that, you know, from, from a Muslim perspective, the question that we're asked to ask is bring the evidence, yeah? If I were to bring reasonable evidence which would satisfy some kind of probabilistic reasoning that the Prophet Muhammad, we believe is the final Prophet, right? That he was a true Prophet. Would you be willing to become a Muslim? Bro, he literally just asked them point blank, man. And that's, bro, with some people, that's how it has to be done, bro. Honestly. Mm, okay. And with him, I think it's about time. I know, bro. It's like when you get Andrew, oh, yeah. Andrew Tate on, bro. I'm just going to be like, bro, are you ready? I wouldn't. Um... I wouldn't dispute a priori the idea that Muhammad was a true prophet. But I don't understand what that means. Like, obviously, so this is the way I'm going to look at this psychologically again. You know, it's people are granted revelations, and it's obviously the case, let's speak empirically, that the revelation of Muhammad united a fractious society. And so it was a uniting revelation. Now, how to conceptualize, but it's not a universally uniting revelation, at least not yet or not now, because... We're not all united, so no, why? Well, why? Maybe we didn't understand well, the revelation. Well, well, is, That's one is, possibility. Is the presupposition what you're saying that unity is the ultimate objective? Well, not exactly, you know, because okay. then you have the problem of uniformity that you. you no, no, even, right? even the idea of unity itself. I mean, is, is there? Well, not... we talked about. Okay, so no, unity is a great. This. Just to be clear, yeah. I believe that unity is a great objective. Yeah. But I don't think it's the all-defining one. For example, um, if there's a, if there is an injustice that is so great that disunity is more appropriate, then I can imagine situations where this unity is probably better than unity. Right. I'm sure you can as well. For example, like in well, the Soviet that, Union. That would be a false unity in yeah, some yeah, sense. Yeah, exactly. Right? So right? that's what Well, that's why about. you wanted to address the elephant under the yeah, yeah, but, way. Exactly. You can't have a false peace. Exactly. And we but, can't incorporate things we can't yet incorporate. Yes. And, no. well, well, the reason why I'm bringing this to your attention is because I feel like it's my duty as a Muslim, especially in the mosque, right, to, to, to tell you that um, as Muslims, we believe that the previous dispensations, as they were like Christianity and Judaism, they are part of our faith, in a sense. Not in the sense of believing the doctrines and all of that kind of thing. Like, we obviously don't believe in original sin or the, the resurrection, the crucifixion, all this kind of thing. We don't believe in any of that. Or the Trinity, yeah, of course. Um, but in the sense that we do believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in all of the Old Testament prophets, most of them, if not all of them, you know, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and so on. And we believe that each prophet was sent with two things. The message, which is to believe and worship in one God, and some kind of evidence to indicate their truthfulness. So with, for example, Moses and Jesus, we know what their miracles are, splitting the scene. And we believe that actually happened historically, right? We have no qualms with that. We don't have this kind of materialistic viewpoint on the issue. Uh, with Muhammad, we believe that his, because he was sent to all of humanity, he had to have a, an evidence base that would satisfy not just the eyes. In other words, it wouldn't be just something that could be witnessed. It would be something that can be interrogated and scrutinized for all times and places. So it would be an auditory revelation. In this case, it's the Quran. The Quran means mm-hmm. a recitation, yeah? So the, the central message of the Qur'an is Tawheed, or the idea of worshipping one God and believing in one God, as we've mentioned. But there, are some, there is an attempt in the Qur'an to challenge, like for example, there's something called the falsification test. 
or the inimitability test. The Quran says, for example, that try and find a contradiction within the Quran. Had it been from other than God, we have found in it many contradictions. It's the, this inimitability challenge is to produce something as sophisticated as it in terms of the linguistic composition as well as the structural component. Um, this is very interesting because now even Western academics like Angelica Neuris and others have said that this, this challenge has not been met. It's a German orientalist. She's recently said this. Um, so this is another thing. And then you have a range of prophecies, for example. Like if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21, it's mentioned in the Bible that one of the mark, hallmarks of a true prophet is that, or a false prophet is that when they talk about the future, that it will be false. But the Quran makes very specific, very specific prophecies about the future. For example, in chapter 30, verse 2 to 4, it says, That the Romans had been defeated. At that time, there was an assassinated empire in the Roman Empire, and they were in war with each other. And that from three to nine years, they would defeat the enemy. You see? It gave very specific timelines. It gave very specific... And this was a very risky type of uh, prediction. Because if you got it wrong, then it would endanger and undermine the entire prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad. But it did happen. And in fact, you'll find historical things which are not even in the Quran. That Rome was defeated? That Rome, no, that the that Persians, sorry, that the Romans had been defeated by the Persians in a battle. Yeah? Okay. Uh, and so that's, it's mentioned, for example, the Chronicles of Theophanes, which is a primary source material outside of the Quran Sunnah. Um, you can find it now, it's even translated into English. He, he clearly mentions that um, eight years after this particular prediction took place, it did ha happen like that. So we have a range of predictions, even that relate to the current day. The Prophet said that the, the barefooted Arab, they will be uh, competing for the highest building that sexually transmitted diseases would be proliferated as a result of people having intercourse outside of marriage and that this would be something that would be uh, diseases that had never been there in the past. Uh, the interest-based uh, interest economy that we live in is mentioned by the Prophet Muhammad. I said in the future, interest will be everywhere. Whoever does not consume it, he will not be able to evade its dust. So this is another thing. So for example, um, you've got a range of prophecies where Islam will spread country by country. Where, you know, this is mentioned, he's going to go, uh, there's a hadith that says, that the earth has been expanded for me. I saw west points and east points. And my nation will reach its uh, points, what was projected, and it's in east and west. If you look at the Islamic expansion, I mean, Barbie Rogerson, yeah, who is a historian, he said that the similitude of the Muslims going eastward and westward and conquering the amount of countries that they conquered in that early period, which we can read in the, in the book that I've given you, is like Eskimos taking over Russia and America. That's what he said, Barnaby Rogerson. On the point of prophecies, even people like Edward Gibbons, they agree that the prophecies of the Quran had been met. So, so I have to ask. Yeah. So I don't, I, don't, I don't understand the question exactly. He wants I'm, to know if you'll convert to Islam. No, I'm saying that. No, that wasn't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I would say to some degree, it's not up to me. No, no, but, but my question was, my, my, just to remind you, the question was, if I gave you evidence that would satisfy a certain level of probabilistic... No. So you wouldn't? No, because that isn't how I evaluate the situation. How would you evaluate it? This is the cross. Well, I'm a Muslim enough to have been invited to your mosque. No, no, you're always invited. No, even no, no. <laughs> so I, mean, I mean this specifically. Yeah, I yeah. mean this very specifically, you know. Um, I don't think in some sense, it's a very complicated problem. Okay. You know, when, when people meet me on the street, they'll say things like, I met a couple of Orthodox Jews in New York, yeah. and they said to me on the street that they called me rabbi, which was... It's a hell of a thing to hear. I, it is not obvious to me that I... Let me kind of push back a little bit on yeah. that point, because you're an individual like, obviously in your newest book, you're talking very um, categorically about precision. And I would say you're an individual that is very precise. You're categorized like, if I was to say anything, I would say that you're an individual that's scrupulously meticulous in exactitude and, I don't know, meticulousness or whatever, yeah? So you speak 
and you think about what you're going to say before you say it. That's what you're known for. In fact, if someone says something which is uh, kind of off the market a little bit, you pull them up for it, right? And you, you know, usually because I don't understand it then. Yeah, no, no, for example, like the Kathy uh, Newman interview, like the assumptions and the questioning that she had, she had when she was questioning, so you pulled her up on it. And that's why it became so uh, popular, the discussion was so popular. And you're a clinical psychologist. So what I was going to say is this, like, for example, if I were to make a video, right, I say this message to the, you know, to white Canadians or something, yeah? yeah. And I said, you know. It's hard to talk to them. And I say, look, you know, um, sensitively, why don't you reach out to some Russians, you know? Or, you know, heaven forbid, you know, reach out to black Africans or First Nation people, you know, whatever it may be. What do you, how do you think the community of white Canadians, let's say, for the sake of argument, will react to that kind of message? Bro, where did Homs' orators go? No. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> I was gonna say, Yo. me and Anha, like when we first, me and Anha, I was gonna say when we both saw Hamza Zorsi appear, we were both like, "What the heck? Where did he come from?" And yeah, now no, he just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a good point. Uh, uh, seconds left what we heard so far. Yeah, I'll let this clip finish. There's just a few seconds left. All right. Well, if it was you, yeah, well, you're pretty disagreeable, so you'd probably get bit back a lot. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's yeah. hard to say until you do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I have reached out to other communities. Let's say I did an interview with a friend of mine who's a Native American carver mm -hmm. who lives on the West Coast, and you know, I'm not very happy with the. Mm. Okay, that was it. Subhanallah. One thing I want to get off my chest because I feel like, oh man, part of me feels like my heart's about to break, because. I feel like, and I, I'm not talking about Muhammad Hijab in particular or anyone in particular. I'm just saying that generally, and I haven't seen anything other than what we just watched. This is my first time seeing anything of Jordan Peterson and Muhammad Hijab too. But one thing that stands out to me tremendously, and I think Jordan Peterson proved it, like unequivocally proved it, is he doesn't need arguments. He doesn't need intellectual demonstrations of why Islam is... This man needs to be emotionally convinced, bro. He needs to be, he's such an emotional guy. Allah Mubarak, may Allah bless him and guide him to Islam. He's talking about a group of Jews that came and called him Rabbi. Bro, he looked like he was about to cry, man. Looked like he was about to, he needs to be, not just rationally, but he needs to be emotionally convinced that Islam is the truth. And we can do that, bro. It's Wallah, it's easy. You know, if, if, oh. if, 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 I'll give you a few examples. First and foremost, you, you find a pain point in his life. You find something that's crunching him in his life, that's hurting him in his life. And you show him in the Quran, in the Son of the Prophet, exactly where that's dealt with and exactly how and exactly why. There was a clip of Hamza from Hamza, Hamza's den, uh, a speaker's corner with an older white guy. All right. And I'm not just saying that because Jordan Peterson's an older white guy, but I'm just, that's who he was talking to. And, and he, he noticed from this man, you know, he's an older guy, probably his grandkids. And he's like, listen, you're going to love this. And he told them about the hadith of the Prophet um, basically, uh, where he talks about, I think, fulfilling your obligation towards your parents. And the old man looked like he was about to cry. Because you could tell maybe his kids don't visit him as often as, as he wants them to. You know, mm -hmm. that's what makes Islam stand out to people. Or play something from the Quran with, with a recitation uh, that is melodious as Allah SWT instructed us to. And, 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 and takes its time reciting the Quran with the translation so that he, you know, on something that's related, related to him in his life, something that he needs to hear. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have asbab al-nuzul. We have basically circumstances for revelation, right? Why the Quran was revealed at particular times and what they were in regards to. So find one of the, not me, you know, not, not, I'm not a scholar, I'm not, I'm not a muhadith. I don't know the, the hadith very well uh, when things were revealed, but find something that will fit him in his life, inshallah, and give it to him and just... Cater to his emotions, inshallah. What do you think on health? I think that's beautiful, man. I was just thinking about how, like, this is why the Quran 
and Islam in total is just so beautiful because our logic sometimes is kind of like this barrier before we get to our emotions. Like people who are logical, they're going to be logical before they're emotional. So there's a barrier. You have to go through the logic before you get to the emotions. And it's crazy because Islam and the Quran, like it not only does it speak to the emotions, but it speaks to the logic. And then once it, it, it brings down the barrier, the wall of the logic, like it hits the emotions like nothing else. Mm-hmm. And like that, that's exactly what Jordan Peterson needs, bro. Yep. 100%. And I want to comment on that. I know. I'm sorry. I jumped off right at the bat and I started talking so much and I'm still talking a lot. But this is just something that I'm very passionate about. So forgive me, guys. But I want to mention two things before I pass it on to Fayyad. Bismillah. So and what you said is correct. And essentially, when we, and I want to prove this with Jordan Peterson, we make up our minds before we actually realize we logically made up our mind. Like if, if, if someone were to ask you something, emotionally, you would have an answer. You would decide how you emotionally feel about it before you decide what's logically correct. And you realize, you notice that if you go back to clip watch with Jordan Peterson, he said no, just like Muhammad Ajab said, you like to sit and think about your answer. He said no and then thought about his answer. He's, from as a psychologist, he should know this himself. As a psychologist, I'm not an expert, obviously. So if he wants to refute me on the inshallah, go ahead. But, you know, he should know this himself. And he should recognize it in that clip. And he should know that no amount of logical convincing will actually convince him because what he has is, is an emotional kind of problem with it. Mm-hmm. And from a, I'm taking, and again, I'm not an expert by any means. It's one elective in school, but I'm taking a culture and media course. And they talk about how the media is the message and that the way you distribute the message is basically the message in and of itself. And I was looking at the Quran from that perspective and the Quran is so tremendous in delivering the message because not only is it clear, logical, rational and concise, but it's recited in a melodious way, which is it already impacts your heart so much more because it involves your emotions. So it's emotionally convincing you. It's logically and rationally convincing you. And on top of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us stories, which is something Jordan Peterson does a lot in his lectures when he was a professor at university, uh, specifically because he knows that's a great way to communicate. So from a culture and media perspective, the Quran is phenomenal. And honestly, I will say this firmly, on top of everything and anything else in the world right now, any movie, any 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 film, any song, anything in the world, the Quran delivers this message better than it. I will say mm-hmm. that firmly, inshallah. But fine, what do you think, bro? What were your thoughts? I think it's a shame, bro, that a lot of these educational institutions and a lot of these, you know, platforms, they focus a lot. And maybe even, you know, we ourselves were prone to this in the beginning, you know. We spent a little bit of an overemphasis on the logical proofs of Islam, which is not a bad thing, by the way, because there is a time and a place for that. But just like Brother Hamza Zorta said on the podcast that we had with him, that some people, they just need you to like just take them out for like a slice of pizza, you know, and just chop it up. Just talk about random things in life and and just see them as a person, bro, as a human, not as someone that you need to like intellectually debate and, and try to refute. And you know what I mean? Because Islam can do that. But that like most people don't need that, bro. Most people need soul food. Yeah, thanks. 100 percent. 100 percent. You know, uh, a heart, a heart that is, is sincerely reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, 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 and opens up to that again, will yearn for Allah. That is something we know about the human being. Even like subhanAllah, bro. Um, like remember the seerah of the Prophet when he was reciting Surah An-Najm. And for anyone who doesn't know, Surah An-Najm is, is so powerful. It's so powerful. I didn't know it was Surah An-Najm when I first heard it recited by Mansur al-Salimi. But 
subhanallah like it impacted me and and then i, I correlated it with the, this hadith which says the prophet he was reciting surah najm to his people to Quraysh, and by the end of it he said basically you know prostrate to your lord and worship him and everyone even the non-muslims prostrated because they believed in allah everyone prostrated and there was only one arrogant guy who didn't prostrate but at the very least he took the dirt from the ground and put it up to his forehead you know it's like even he realized you know that this is the truth and he was so overcome with the emotion instead of falling to the ground he he's like i need to grab this dirt and put it on my head because i can't even though i'm too arrogant to put myself down i need to bring it up here that's the impact it has subhanallah jeez man may allah allow us to overcome our emotional blocks bro i mean I mean, Europe. That's being promoted in Canada, which is that the European um, settlement of Canada is best viewed as genocidally colonial. And having said that, my friend, this carver, was in a residential school in Canada, and the residential schools were put forward by the government um, in an attempt, and other institutions, in an attempt to separate the indigenous children from their families and then socialize them rapidly yeah. according to European norms. And there was some positive motivation for that and sometimes that helped and worked but one of the things that did happen was that some schools were let's say invaded by people of a pronounced pedophilic and mm. and sadistic bent and mm -hmm. my friend ended up in one of those schools and his life was so mm -hmm. dreadful that mm -hmm. you can't even hear about it without 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 serious emotional damage and yeah. so you know i went forward with that discussion and it was very contentious but it went very well and mm -hmm. it, it it told a story that was true and needed to be told. Yeah. And so, you know, you step into foreign territory at your peril, that's yeah. for sure. But, you know, and it was relatively difficult for me to arrange for this to be a possibility. Yeah, of course. And, and, but my, my thought, again, because I'm trying to look for what we have to offer each other mm -hmm. rather than what divides us, I thought yeah. it was worthwhile. But well, so, let me push back again once, yeah. once again on this point. So, for example, it's not always what you say. Sometimes it can be what you don't say. So, for, for instance, I think you've become somewhat of an emblem of Western civilization, right? In terms of you're an intellectual. Help us. <laughs> no, but you have, and I also push back on the point that this is a foreign culture because I think that Islam. I know you've mentioned this in the lecture as well that Islam has now become part of, like you know, Western culture. Yeah, well, that's the open question. As, yeah, yeah. as we noted in the introductory remarks, it's like, yeah. well, are, is Islam part of the West? We're kind of having the same discussion about mm. Russia in some real yeah, sense, yeah, and yeah. that's really going well at the moment. Yeah. So, so there's that part, but what I would say is that you know, if there, there is a bloody history of Western colonialism, and that's almost undeniable. Like, for example, uh, look at Algeria, for instance. Algeria, when it um, was annexed by France, uh, oh, there's no dispute. There's in no that. dispute in what happened there. So, the issue, like, I'm giving you one example of many: uh, the Spanish colonialism of uh, Latin America, for example. Um, after, there, there are things that happened, and it's, I'm yeah. not saying that's not yeah. things that happened on, on only just on again. the Western Front. Yeah. Uh, there are things that happen on the Muslim front as well, of course. This I, is true. Yeah, no doubt about it, right? No, I'm not going to stand here and you know defend the Muahidun who came and were very intolerant to uh, Jews and Christians and kicked them out of their homes and stuff yeah. like that, who existed in Spain as well, in fact. So uh, the point is, I feel like, I don't know, as a psychologist, I think my question would be to you, don't you think, it, is it of any benefit to, to be concessionary in this regard? Like to start off a discussion by saying, like, we know um, that these are things that could cause resentment. Right? Yes. These, um, because, like, for example, I know a lot of Algerian people, and this is very clear in their historical memory. Yes. And the, the accusation would be that the West have colonial amnesia here. They, don't, they, they are not taking into account what they've done. I'll be honest yeah, with you. Well, they don't, don't yeah. even know how. Well, okay. So, Do you see what so, I'm saying? Yeah, well, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, here, here's how I would address that psychologically. Um, in, in many of the mythological stories that I've read, there is the motif of the evil uncle. 
And so, for example, in, in the ancient Egyptian cosmology, um, the, the, there, were two, there were four deities, four central deities, although a host of associated deities. And one of them was Osiris, who was the deity of the state. That might be a good way of thinking about it. And he had an evil brother, Seth, who was always conspiring in the background to overthrow the state and to establish his own rule, say, based on power. And the Egyptians, this is thousands of years ago, had figured out by that point, because their society was quite large, that there was something in the social structure itself that posed a threat to the structure, and that was the tendency for the structure and its leaders to become willfully blind and for conspiratorial p p powers or patterns that would use resentment and the desire for power to overthrow that. And they thought of Osiris as willfully blind and Seth as an eternal danger, and that's true. And, and then, but there's a... There's another element to the evil uncle, too, which is that in some real sense, and it's a very difficult thing to sort through morally, all of us walk on blood-soaked ground mm -hmm. because hi human history is, in some regards, a nightmarish catastrophe. And some of that's just because life was so difficult, but it's also because people did in unbelievably cruel and malicious and deceptive, uh, committed, committed unbelievably cruel and atrocious and deceptive acts. And so we're all stuck with this problem that here we are, in relative peace and harmony so far, although we seem to be doing everything we can to try to disrupt that at the moment. And part of the price that's being paid for that is an endless litany of historical catastrophe. And then we all have to face up to, well, what does that mean for us in terms of our individual responsibility? And how do we construe ourselves and our society in light of that fact? And we could go back and forth continually about whose historical atrocities were worse. And that's a rough contest because, you know, the devil is definitely in the details there. And then it also brings up the other problem, which is, well, when the Spaniards went to Central America, uh, a lot of the bloodshed they produced, uh, the death they produced, was actually a consequence of the introduction of disease because that took out about 95% of the native population in the Western Hemisphere. And then the conquistadors were, well, maybe they weren't the finest representatives of the of the highest flowering of Western civilization. We don't know what, to what degree they were the sort of thugs that couldn't get along at home and went out adventuring. And, and, then, and, and even if I, say, attempted to take full responsibility for that, I'm not sure what it would mean because I suspect I have a lot more in common with you people in the modern world than I do with Spanish conquistadors from 300 years ago. Now, I'm not saying I bear no responsibility for the bloodshed of the past, but I would say we all bear that responsibility, and that's something I would say that's something like the conception of original sin. Yeah, and that's the point you know? of difference. Uh, to, be, yeah. to be honest, I would disagree with that point. Like, as a Muslim, there is a verse in the Quran that says, well, that, tells you the way that one soul should not bear the responsibility of someone else's actions. Yeah, well, that, that's the other ethical complication. Yeah, yeah. It's so, like, so you know, I, I, can you call yeah. me out yeah. in relationship no, to no, the no, atrocity I, of the of past? Course, of course and, not. No, well, yeah, but, it, but it's yeah. complicated, right? Because, yeah. but, because at the same time, you do say, and I don't mean you personally, yeah, yeah, yeah. but... You know, we can say things like, well, the West is not bearing sufficient responsibility for its colonial past. And so at some level, that kind of devolves down to the individual. So like, let, well, me, let me kind of rephrase it then. I think, you know, I think that's more of a left than criticism. It's like, you know, it's reparations and affirmative action yeah, programs. Also. Yeah. I'm not advocating any of that. And nor yeah. do I even believe in any yeah. of that, to be honest with you. Nor me. Yeah, so what, what I was putting as an alternative to that is this. Is that there is this kind of, I would call this maybe an Orientalist, a new Orientalist narrative, which states that Islam is incapable of X, Y, Z. Call it tolerance, call it whatever it is. And look at what's happened in Islamic history. You've, you've got all of these deaths and you've got all of these kinds of things that are happening comparative to what we have in the West. And what we're saying is that let's look at what you have in the West because liberalism was an ideology that was started in the 17th century. Like, I mean, really it was crystallized, mm -hmm. you know, with John Locke and all these kind of things then. And after liberalism was established, and in fact, the constitution and the documents of the founding fathers and stuff like that were based on the liberal secular principles. Even after that, you had Napoleonic Wars. Even after that, you had colonialism continue. You had slavery continue until 1867, whenever it was, you know, the American Civil War ended. Um, so, so what we're saying is that this 
picture of history that you know the West is best, basically this idea, because our ideology can fix all problems. It's not reasonable when you look at the historical records. I mean, one of um, one scholar called Navid Sheikh actually done a done a, a piece. It's called Body Count, and he was counting the amount of people that died in each uh, civilization, and he put the, the Western civilization as the highest. And because you have things like World War One and World War Two, and these things were World War One, World War Two were nationalistic conquests. They, they, they were not religiously inspired. I mean, you can you can argue to what extent were World War One was religiously inspired, but certainly Islam didn't, was not a main feature of the 30 million people that died in World War One, or however many many, many people died in World War Two. So the point is, is that we're saying is that, uh, and obviously you've got concepts in the West like manifest destiny, and which I think every single president of the United States of America believed in westward expansion, these kind of things. The, the point is, is that. It's a proposition that the ideology of the West can fix our problems. This is what we have an issue with, because what we're saying is that if we look at the historical record, there is no evidence of that. In fact, what it's shown us is that there's more bloodshed. Individualism has caused more death, like, you know, with all due respect. I know that you, you, you do cherish individualism. I'm not saying everything is bad about it, but when, when, when you have a society deplete of a communitarian ethic, is bereft of a communitarian ethic, then you can have these issues. And uh, so, so these are conversations, uh, and I think you are moving towards the communitarianism. Uh, in your newest book, you were talking about institutions and these kind of things and the respectful tradition and these kind of things. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm reading you correctly, but these are the kinds of conversations I think we need to have. But on that point, I think, I, I don't want this to be entirely. Wow. The whole other half was like a whole other different discussion, subhanAllah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think it's an important one, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. I, 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 one point I actually really wanted to mention was uh, Jordan Peterson seems to have this kind of dilemma between burning the sins of the people of the past and fixing them, but also, you know, it's not fair to be burdened with the sins of other people. You know, you weren't even born yet. Why do you have to kind of bear the sin? So obviously, we don't bear the sin, but that doesn't mean we don't we don't bear a responsibility, right? Mm. I think it's safe to say, it's fair to say, if you are in a position of power that someone and previously that was in that position of power misused it misapplied it and caused corruption then it's upon you as someone in that current position of power because power is responsibility obviously um you know i'm not trying to be ben parker but with great power comes great responsibility 100 you need to fix whatever institutions were broken and whatever was messed up i mean even the example mm -hmm. that muhammad hijab gave of uh, the person, uh, basically, like the, the the Islamic ruler that was um, unjust towards Christians and Jews, and all that stuff did happen. But when mm -hmm. one basically Islamic empire, Islamic ruler, was oppressive towards certain Jews, and there was actually like a, a Jew who who ran away, and he was a governor of uh, basically under a Muslim Muslim rule. He basically ran from one empire to another Muslim empire, and then wrote about how good the Muslims were treating him there. Uh, so. You know, that's kind of what Muslims have. We have the responsibility, not the sin of another, but we have the responsibility to fix our societies according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us in the Quran. And this touches on a point that Jordan Peterson made uh, earlier in that video, which is about uh, the basically unity in Islam. That Islam is a uh, basically a religion that calls people together and brings unity amongst people, even the most broken of society. And he said that's not exactly happening today. And I don't want to get too like, you know, propositional logic on people here, but we know that fulfilling Islam um, basically creates a, a, a uniform society, right? But that doesn't mean if you don't have a uniform society, then Islam failed. That just means you're the, basically the negation or the flipping that around means that you did not, uh, I think it's called the contrapositive or something. It means basically you did not fulfill Islam. And if you did fulfill Islam, then you would have the same kind of unity. If you enter the hearts of people and they actually want to practice and implement it into the state, implement it into the world. 
and that's what we have to do as Muslims. Hmm. I like the point that Brother Muhammad Hijab brought up about colonial amnesia, bro. I like that term. It's almost like they forget about all the things that have gone down and they like to just, you know, project it onto, you know, the Muslims or other races and ethnicities and religions when they do the same thing. Yeah, 100%. It is pure ethnocentrism. It is pure ethnocentrism. You know, you know what the problem is, bro? What? The problem is Islam, if it's unjustified, you know, it, like any of these Muslim empires or Muslim nations doing these things that are unjustified, it's not backed by Islam, bro. Like Islam doesn't agree with this. Islam doesn't allow this. But when you look at all the things that are going on in the West, what is it even based on, bro? It's baseless. It's not even like they can say it's based on this or based on that. It's based on the whims and desires of the people at that political time and climate and the decisions that they make to think that they're justified. But ultimately, it boils down to just nothing, bro. Whims and desires. Yeah, 100%. Even the Prophet he said, not just talking about our time specifically, about years of treachery and that stuff, but also about even soon after he passed away, peace and blessings be upon him. He spoke that you're going to have basically like a kingdom of of rahmah, of mercy, and then a kingdom of like of hardship and tyranny. That's what he were. That's what he said. Tyranny, essentially. So, um, yeah, one hundred percent. And but if you look at you know who our role models are, this is when the the most kind of or a lot of this uh, basically expansion happened with the Muslims. It's where a lot of the expansion happened with the Muslims. And then you had people essentially that went astray and caused like interfighting and that stuff. Topic for another time, inshallah. But essentially the point here is that Islam uh, basically has a coherent way of life, a full system that is implemented in people's hearts and on a societal level will cause that unity. It will cause that unity that, that every single place on the face of the earth lacks today. Every single place on the face of the earth lacks it. Mm. I agree. I, I think with that point, if y'all do not have anything else to add, I think this is a great point to end it off on. Mm-hmm. I agree, bro. Nice and short. All right. Yeah. 30 minutes, nice and short. <laughs> nice and short, bro. That for T3M, bro. That's hella short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. But, you know, comment down below what you guys thought of this. Anything else you want us to react to, inshallah. Um, and trust me, guys, we're, we're definitely a work in progress. We're trying to figure this thing out, too ourselves we're gaining knowledge we're seeking truth we're trying to you know go to the people of knowledge and and get our get our get our ilm up you know but you know at the end of the day we're humans keep us in your duas and uh may allah guide us all including jordan peterson bro um dr jordan peterson for any weird reason bro if you're watching us you know <laughs> may allah guide you and you know just remember that you know the things that Ami was talking about with the cognitive biases and the emotionality. These are real things, and you don't need us to remind you because obviously you're a psychologist, you know, unlike us. But these are these are the main tenets of how we make decisions, bro. Ninety nine, if not all percent, of our decision making is through emotions. So logic is kind of just there as either a hindrance or something that we must kind of rationally get through before we go to the emotion. Just like Brother Anhu said, inshallah. So may Allah allow us to overcome these emotional issues which are the real issues you know instead of just logic alone um and allow us duat to you know prioritize the emotion and reasoning more than we do right now because right now it's i see too many people including ourselves at times it's very logical yeah yeah 100 i mean and with that being said allahumma wa wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh